0: Most of us know this story very well. It is the trial, or one of the trials, of Jesus. And this is the setting of it Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, and at the time that they judged Jesus, worthy of crucifixion. So we want to start there. Jesus had before him... Pilate had Jesus before him, and he had to make a decision. And I believe today... In America, we need to make sure that we have the decision, not that Pilate made, but the correct decision. And we're going to see it played out today. This will be a two-part. We'll actually have next Sunday a trial. We're going to put Jesus on trial. So I'm going to ask it later on for y'all to do something about that. But for right now, let's find out the context. And the greatest question perhaps in the Bible is Matthew 27, verse 22. and let's read it. Pilate saith to them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? Let's pray. Oh God, as we're here, Lord, that is the most paramount question that we as Christians need to decide today. Going forward from this day, what are we to do with you? Lord, let us be that light. Lord, let us be that catalyst for change in America, Lord, that you can have the glory for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Pilate asked in in layman's terms, what shall I do with Jesus? And that really was a pertinent question for him at the time. It's a question we need to answer. But now listen closely. There's coming a time... When Pilate is going to stand before Jesus and give an account for his decision that he did with Jesus, just as all of us are going to give an account of our decision we made for Jesus. So right now, in the context of Matthew 27, Pilate has Jesus in his hands and on his hands. But now, today, Pilate is in Jesus's hands. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. So what does all that got to do with us? But in a very real sense, what I'm going to go through about Pilate, he really represents, if you will, every man, woman, boy, and girl in the world apart from Christ. And in a, in a very loose sense, all the Christians, what are we going to do daily with Jesus? So as Jesus again was before Pilate, Pilate will be Before Jesus again one day, just as Jesus was before Pilate, in this context, Jesus is before us every day, every step of the way. Jesus is before us. Every decision we make, we have a decision to make, and it's for the good or for the bad, what edifies or what crucifies Christ. So we want to do a similarity. And like I said, in a very real sense, Pilate does represent humanity in a whole apart from Christ. So one of these days, Pilate will stand before Jesus just as we will stand before Jesus. So I'm going to ask you later today to answer that question, what will you do with Jesus? And let me tell you why we need to have this question asked. For one thing, it's a very present question. In, in today's context, in the world that we live in today, we are challenged at every front. At every front. So not simply what did Pilate do, because Pilate made a very bad decision. We don't want to emulate Pilate in any stretch or form, but I see the way Pilate made some of his decisions and what molded and what got him to where he was at that's working on good-hearted Christians even today. I see the similarity. So secondly, it is a personal question. I wish, and I know all you parents wish, that you could magically touch your children and say saved and never have to worry about them. I know every parent wants that for their child. But the problem is it's a very personal decision. Nobody can save you from Jesus. You're the only one that can save, be saved. I can't save any of you. Only Jesus can. So it's a very personal, just as... Pilate sort of had a good inclination, we'll get to that, that he was doing the wrong thing. I believe people today, even the most vile, have some barometer with them that says, you know, this really isn't right, if God is real at all. So, The fourth thing is, it's a very pressing question in today's society. We are challenged at every front with what's going on around us. We're inundated. It's like everything's on a downhill slope and the whole world is just running downhill very fast. So some people, and it happens all the time, even with adults or children, says that I'm not going to answer that question for the preacher today. Satan is sitting on their shoulder and saying, you know, you got time. Do that later. You got a life to live. Okay, don't worry about that right now. But I want to tell you something, you cannot be neutral and on the fence about this decision of what you're going to do with Jesus. It is a very pressing question, and even if you decide not to do anything, you understand that that is a decision about Christ. In other words, if you don't do anything, you're in in essence saying no, right? If you're unsaved. And you say, well, I'm not going to make no decision about that. Well, you made the decision. By not deciding, it's a no. So I want to go through some of the questions and some of the things that were before Pilate today, and I want us to realize that it is an inescapable and unavoidable question. You will be challenged. If people know you go to church, you will be challenged on every front in the context of the world we live in today today about your walk, and everything is under a microscope. So we see that every day, every day. Everybody in this room will either accept Jesus or reject Jesus. They'll either confess Jesus or deny Jesus. They'll either crown Jesus or they'll crucify Jesus. Nobody can be neutral about this you will do something with the Lord and Savior. I want you to see the tragic picture that we're going to outline of the that the decision that Pilate made because it's terrible. So first things first, there were some voices that confronted Pilate. Jesus is, I want to tell you again, the unavoidable and inescapable fact of life. Nothing, in, nothing can be more... private and facing that when Pilate faced Jesus, he had the voice that was in his head of reason. Pilate had a voice of reason. First of all, if you see uh, Matthew 27, verse 18, it says, for he knew that for envy that they had delivered him. So what does that mean? Pilate was really reading their thoughts. You know, you really don't get to be a governor of an area like that under the Roman authority without being able to kind of be a people person, understand people, be a people pleaser. They were crying out for his blood, but Matthew twenty-seven eighteen says, for he, and talking about Pilate here, knew that for envy they wanted to deliver him. And of course, that's Jesus. So they wanted Jesus crucified. And and make sure you understand this. The people that wanted Jesus crucified was the religious leaders of the day. Never let that go out from under your radar. Okay, never let that go out from under your radar. But Pilate, in this context here, was no fool. Think about it. He knew that the cha- charges were trumped up, and I'm going to read some different scriptures that prove that. But the voice he heard first was the voice of reason. It was the voice of reason. He knew better. Think about it this way. If we, if if every person would even be half as prudent as Pilate was about examining the evidence and looking at the witnesses and asking them and, and seeing what was going on, if we would just be that reasonable about the faith, there would be hardly anyone lost. Because people will tell you all the time, you're only doing Christianity because you're brain dead. You don't have, you're just weak and you're a doormat. But that's not the Bible. That's not the Bible. All it takes is reason to have the Bible, to understand what's actually going on. So we want to do that today. We want to make sure that we examine the evidence and listen to the witnesses. The witnesses will come next week. Today's will be the uh, evidence. And then you should be able to say, uh, without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ he is the Son of God, worthy of all honor, glory, majesty, and praise. For a person to crucify Jesus, he must first crucify reason. And I'm talking at the intellectual level, okay? C.S. Lewis, in a, in a book called Mere Christianity, wrote this trilogy of things. He said you can do three different things with Jesus. Now, just as a side note, Jesus is a fact of history. You can go outside the Bible and find out that Jesus really lived and really died and really was raised from the grave. That ain't something you got to just take from the Bible. There is secular history wrote in that same time period that represents that. So Jesus is a fact. There's no debate in that. The question is, what was Jesus? Okay, that's, that's the question. You can't say that, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said this. He said, do we want to make Jesus a liar? Well, what's a liar. A liar is someone that is deceitful. In other words, he thought he was God, knew he wasn't God, but thought he was God. By some weird imagination, that's what he did. So, So on one hand, you have, is Jesus a liar? So if Jesus is not a liar... C.S. Lewis said that he might be a lunatic. C.S. Lewis said he was on the lunatic on the level of a man that thought he was a poached egg. That level of a lunatic. But what is a lunatic? A lunatic is a man that actually sort of believed he's God, but really isn't God. We've had some of those throughout history that thought they were God, but really weren't. But, But for some deranged reason that Jesus was a lunatic. That he was just crazy. Or... Is he who he said he was? And Lord. That's the three things we need to make sure we understand. The fact of him being a person that lived on earth is a fact. It's a historical fact. Slap that aside. Jesus lived. But what do we do? So reason tells you what. You can't read the Bible and say he's a liar. There's no way. You can't read the Bible and say there's anything that's got to... Even a hint of being ludicrous about it. There's no way. So he has to be who he said he was. And if we believe that, then our life needs to reflect that. Right? So reason confronted Pilate. Pilate said, he's done nothing wrong. Second thing that confronted Pilate was a voice of a loved one. A voice of a loved one. We see that in verse 19, still in Matthew 27. When he sat down, that's Pilate, sat down at the judgment seat, his wife sent it to him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with this just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. You got that? Pilate's wife somehow was in contact with God. God warned her in a dream. She, loving Pilate as she should, and as she did, warned him. I want to ask everybody, has there ever been a time that a loved one told you about Christ? And some of you can give an account, and I'll ask for that again next Sunday, but some of you can give an account of what Jesus has done based on what a loved one spoke to you. So Pilate had... The voice of a loved one telling him, Don't mess with Jesus. Don't have nothing to do with him. The next voice was his conscience. His conscience. Pilate's conscience thundered within him. Think about it. These are the verses still in Matthew 27, verses 23 and 24. And the governor said, What evil hath he done? But they cried out more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail not, but rather that atonement was made, in other words, a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. So Pilate's conscience told him what the truth was. Pilate probably felt dirty, grimy, whatever. He wanted to get his hands Rid of that, but his conscience screamed at him not to do it. Not to do it. But he did it anyway. He did it anyway. You've never, if you've never given your heart to Christ, reason says that you should. You have to throw reason out of the window not to consult and see Jesus for who he really is. You have to throw your reason away. So reason says you should be saved. Loved ones probably have told you throughout your life that you should be saved. Even sometimes your own conscience tells you that it's the right thing to do with Lord Jesus Christ. But the voice I want to press down on this morning is the voice of Jesus. What did Jesus tell Pilate? Jesus spoke to Pilate. In order to find that, we've got to jump out of Matthew into John 18, verse 37, just one verse. John 18, chapter 18, verse 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, talking to Jesus, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king, and to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. You say, I may have heard the voice of reason. I may have heard the voice of a loved one. I may have even heard the voice of my own conscience. But Satan will tell you, you've never heard the voice of Jesus. I got news for you, you just did. It's in his written word. It's in his written word. I read the word of God. The Bible is alive. It is a breathing document. It speaks to you. So those words from Jesus, is it has no greater authority than as if Jesus was standing right here and breathed them himself and said, there's no, there's no difference in it. It is the word of God. You're just listening to me, the, the guy that's portraying it or, 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 or spitting it out as a sermon to you but it's the Word of God. So you're not just listening to me. I'm just delivering it. So it's Jesus who is speaking out of the pages of His Word, and today we have to face the voice of Jesus in all that we do. So there were values that Pilate had that conformed him to do what he wanted to do. And we have lots of people with problems like this. There are certain pressures on Pilate that warred against what he should have made in his right decision, and what are some of them? One of them, for any politician, is public opinion, right? Public opinion. So back in Matthew 27 at verse 20, we see that example. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So there was a multitude, a crowd that was clamoring for Barabbas. And Barabbas was a known criminal of the highest criminal things. He did lots of bad stuff. He was worthy of death. The cross would have been a justified ends to the means of this man. But they went up. Let's let Barabbas go or let's let Jesus go. Pilate was trying to get off. You do understand this. He was thinking they were going to let Barabbas go. This was a feast that was going on. If you read around what's going on, there's a feast going on around this event. Not because of it, per se, but just at, around the event. And, and during that feast, they always let one person go. It's was kind of to help the morale, I guess. But before then, they said, you want to get Barabbas go or Jesus? And what did the crowd cry? Crucify Jesus. Crucify Jesus. So Pilate, in his heart, was a politician, right? He was a politician. He wanted whatever the crowd wanted. Where'd you get that out, Pastor? Read Mark chapter 15, verse 15. And so Pilate, willing to contend the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him or whipped him to be crucified. Think about it. Willing to contend the people. Appease the people. So public opinion. How strong today is public opinion in the life of a Christian? We have social pressures like you wouldn't believe. I can't imagine going through school now. I can't imagine. Sin is still sin, but I'm talking about like on steroids, not just everywhere. So public opinion wars even on the saints of God. So be careful, be careful. So if you hadn't already listened, I'm going to ask for a, a decision later on in this, me- this message, and it will be a public decision, Okay. I'm going to ask you not only to decide in your heart, but give a public, outwardly, openly, unashamedly answer to this question. Okay, And as soon as I do, at that very moment, you're going to feel pressure. It happens at every time we have the last song, we have the benediction. It happens to everyone. You feel this pressure to say, you know... If I go up there today, so-and-so's going to think something's up with me. What are they going to think? What is my church going to say if I happen to part out, step out, and come up here and bow down before God? Or if my knees ain't very good, how about the front row? Nobody seems to want to sit on them. Them are good, and we've got one over here. We could just walk up and do a public demonstration of, listen, I have a problem. I need to sit down and get serious with God. But when I ask for that public outward decision, Satan's going to say, "Eh, don't do that today. People might talk about you. If you make a decision for Christ to live more for him, you've got to go back to work and reflect that decision. Your whole life will reflect. your, Your actual neighborhood may be able to see a difference in what happens if you put Jesus first. So what else beside a public opinion had Pilate. Well, pride for sure, pride. If you turn to John chapter 19, I want to read you something about a very, very arrogant and proud man. John 19, verses 9 through 10. And went again unto the judgment hall, that's Pilate again, said to Jesus, Whence art thou? Where'd you come from, Jesus? But Jesus gave him no answer. Listen closely. Then Pilate saith unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have the power to crucify thee, and I have the power to release you? What did Pilate say in a nutshell? Jesus, you've got God not to speak to me. I'm holding your life in my hand, right? I can release you. I have the power to release you, or I can have you crucified and you have the gall not to speak to me, you hear the pride in that. You hear the pride in that. It's very obvious that Pilate was a very prideful man. But Jesus' response is in verse 11, the very next verse. Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore ye have delivered me unto thee hath a greater sin. Had a greater sin. Jesus told him, he says, you don't have any power but what's given to you from on high. So Pilate was a prideful man. Pride, the Bible's plain. Pride comes before a fall, right? Pride cometh before a fall. So our hearts are so proud even as believers, we wrestle with pride. So the main pressure and positions, and we got to get that straight. And we'll, we'll be wrapping this thing up in a minute. The main pressures that Pilate had to fall under and and what molded him and made him was the pr- was the pressure of position and possession. So Pilate was the governor. He you know he, he sound like any other politician, whatever was buttering their bread is where he wanted to go. So if Pilate Pilate didn't make the politically correct decision, if he did not do the politically correct thing, then he could lose his job, right? Lose his job. Back in John chapter 19, one verse, verse 12, and from this force Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not a friend of Caesar. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. You hear what the people said? Think about it. Pilate at this point was probably thinking this. You know, they might send a letter to Rome or go to Rome and say that I'm just consortium maybe with another king, and everybody knows around here, Pilate would say that everybody knows that Caesar's king, and they try to make out like I'm trying to be a king because I don't want to do what the people do. You see the pressure. That Come on, Pilate. You see the pressure. So think about it. In conclusion for today, there are some of you, you're afraid that if you give your heart to Jesus Christ, And did what you know you ought to do, that it may cost you. It will. Jesus said himself, he says, In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Everybody says, well, pastor, you know a man's got to live. You got it all wrong. A man's got to die and then the judgment." Man's got to die, and then judgment. That's what's before us. So are you ready to face God? Those of you that have already given your heart to God, you may be feeling pressure to conform. In today's world that we live in, the pressure is insurmountable. I've said here a million times, and here goes a million and one, if you're not feeling pressure from the enemy, then you're only in the enemy's camp. Because if you're living for God, you're going to feel the pressure From the enemy. Nobody's perfect this side of heaven. Only one man that ever walked this earth that was perfect, and that was Jesus. Everybody else way down below. Me too, everybody else way down below. So you have incredible pressure to conform and try to blend in with this world. I had a talk with a a man just yesterday, and he is of the... He's of another faith. I'm I'm not going to go any further than that about who it is. But he made a comment about, it was kind of like an argument within his church about the the LGBT stuff. And, And somebody in the church tried to say, well, you don't love those people. We're to love everyone. But nobody with an LGBT lifestyle needs this pulpit. Nobody with an LGBT lifestyle needs to teach any of your children anything. Now, a regenerate, saved saved by grace and not living under that sin anymore, fine. Maybe they can teach. Maybe they can lead a Sunday school. But what that is saying in a nutshell is God's hand is not over. See, the thing about what, what makes me so unique is... Most of y'all know I haven't been a pastor that long, only 10 years at this church. God didn't call me into the ministry at a young age. God said, that knucklehead needs some more work. So he worked on me for 20-some years. Now, I never was outside of church. I did things. I was even a Gideon right at the very end. I was looking for things. I've been deacons, chairman of deacons. I've been in all kinds of stuff. I've been active in church all my life. But God got me to a place that he says, all right, now tell everybody what I've done in your life. Tell everybody what's going on. So today, everybody will have the present question about what shall I do with Jesus? And like I said, next week we're going to put him on trial. I'm going to ask some of you, forget that, if any of you want to volunteer to give a testimony five minutes or less, not today, next Sunday, I'll give you a whole week to think about it. But all I want to ask you to do is get up with me. You know, my cell number is in the bulletin. You can text me, call me, whatever. If you would like to do something, and we need to get a head count of who wants to speak. Because what I'm going to do next week is I'm going to put Jesus on trial. I'm going to have what the Bible says about him and then I want some nowadays witnesses to give their testimony. And then what we're going to do with everybody that's left, you're going to be the juror and you're going to vote on is he who he said he was or was he a lunatic? So be thinking about that as we end up today. But back to the question. It's very simple. To crown him or to crucify him? To acknowledge Jesus as Lord or to reject him? To receive him or deny him? It's really that simple. It's really that simple. You will make a decision. You can't wash your hands of it and you cannot be neutral. Today needs to be that decision. The decision you also need to make is whether you want to give a testimony next week. That's a decision you need to make. You need to say, well, has God been good enough to me? Has God changed my life in such a way that I'm not ashamed to stand up here and say, whatever. But I'm not calling anybody. I don't want to put you under any pressure. But if you want to, let me know sometime next week so I can get a lineup of who's coming. But today, we want to make sure we make that decision because it is very pertinent. To those of us who are saved, there's got to be somebody that you're praying for. There's got to be. God has got to have somebody on your heart because that's part of salvation is is having other people's waywardness on your heart as a burden. So I'm going to ask in just a minute as we sing our last song, I didn't even look at what it was, I Am Resolved, that if you have something on your mind, if you have someone in your heart that you need to pray about, you know, Satan has almost shut down the altar because of pride and because of people saying, I don't want so-and-so to think I did anything wrong. I want to just go pray for my whatever. It doesn't matter, y'all. You come up here, you're making a public statement, even as small as the public arena is, you're making a public statement that I believe in the power of prayer and I believe that I need to get serious with God so I want to come up here and and sit on a bench or kneel, whatever's comfortable for you, and I want to do a little business with Jesus. I want to pour out my heart before a holy God on account of whatever's on your heart. Many people raise their hand to have unspoken requests. This is the time to do business about that in prayer. And as a church, if we can get together and not be too scared of this pulpit, I promise you nobody that's ever come up here has ever left disappointed. You may have left in the same boat you came in on. If you just come up here to cry an alligator a set of tears and, and you've done something wrong and, and you, want do, you want some forgiveness for it, but you don't see Jesus for who he really is. But you never can come up here and be disappointed. Because in the little things, we need to be faithful. Jesus said, I will make you over even bigger things if you're faithful in the little things. You know, years ago, the altar was a place that grown men came and prayed for rain. Farmers. that that, that grown men and women cried for their grandchildren or their children to be saved. Not that they were trying to make a big deal of it, but they were serious before a holy God, and they wanted to say to the church, I got a burden. I'm praying for. So I want to ask you, what have you done with Jesus? What are you going to do with our Lord and Savior, Jesus. As we pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we're here today with that most pressing question that was before Pilate. Lord, I, I can't imagine the pressure that those apart from you feel. But Lord, I know the pressure that those as part of you feel. To walk that walk and to be that person. Lord, we fall, we stumble as believers. But Lord, your grace is sufficient. Lord, it should make us such a humble person to know that you loved me even in spite of me. So Lord, as we're here today, but sing this last song, Lord. Let the hearts and mind be clear and know that today we crown you King of Kings and Lord of Lords in Jesus' name I pray. All God's people say it. Amen. Amen. Please stand.